Did you know that students get it free? The Irish Times offers a free digital subscription to all full-time undergraduates. Keep up to date for free with quality journalism and reporting. Claim yours today at irishtimes.com slash subscribe slash student. Convicted criminal Jonathan Dowdall is about to lose his name, his identity and his home. The former Sinn Féin councillor and successful businessman has dramatically turned state witness in the upcoming Regency Hotel murder trial. Senior counsel Michael O'Higgins also told the court that Jonathan Dowdell's decision to testify has very dire consequences and described the risk to him and his family as severe. And he'll enter the Irish Witness Protection Programme. It's after pleading guilty last week to facilitating the gangland killing in 2016. For obvious reasons, the Witness Protection Programme is shrouded in secrecy. And for most of us, the only reference points we have come from the likes of The Sopranos or Martin Scorsese films. What about my parents? Don't I have some kind of contact with them? No. You mean to tell me that God forbid something happens to my parents and they get sick, I can't go and see them? Maybe something could be worked out. By entering the programme, Dowdall's life, as he knows it, is over. He faces a grim future. You know, a future where living in exile, probably on his own, looking over his shoulder all the time, constantly wondering if someone he meets might be someone who might know someone who might know someone. What exactly was Dowdall's involvement in the Regency shooting? How will his relocation be managed? I'm Connor Pope and this is in the news from the Irish Times. Today, the life and crimes of Jonathan Dowdall and life in the Witness Protection Programme. Conor Gallagher, last week, former Sinn Féin councillor Jonathan Dowdall pleaded guilty to involvement in the Regency Hotel shooting in 2016. Could we maybe start by talking a little bit about Jonathan Dowdall and who he was? Jonathan Dowdall is a 44-year-old man. He's a father of four children, ranging in age from 11 to uh, their early 20s. Uh, He is from the north inner city, Dublin. Uh, Grew up there from a a long-settled family in the area. He started out as an apprentice electrician in the area. He had a a good deal of success uh, with that. Uh, Went on to open his own company, which was very, very successful. Um, Got all sorts of contracts, including government contracts and contracts with multinationals and big business. And then he was uh, asked to run for Sinn Féin in the north inner city area. So he ran for Sinn Féin uh, in the Dublin City uh, local elections Mm. and won a seat where he didn't play a massive role in the council by all accounts, uh, was not there for too many council meetings. When he was there, he would focus on on local issues, you know, such as deprivation and issues facing young people. But a councillor says that, you know, he would miss more meetings than he attended. He fell out with Sinn Féin. He alleged he was bullied by them. And within a year, he vacated his council seat and left Sinn Féin. Yeah. And what kind of time frame are we talking about? When was he in the council and when did he leave Sinn Féin? Uh, he was elected in 2014 and timeline's a bit fuzzy about when exactly he mm. left Sinn Féin because he left. He said he was leaving Sinn Féin and then he said he was uh, not leaving Sinn Féin. But we know for a fact that within a year he was in neither Dublin City Council or Sinn Féin. OK, so we're not talking about the distant past here when he was heavily involved or relatively heavily involved in politics. But then, of course, the Regency Hotel shooting happened in 2016. Can you tell us a little bit about the Regency Hotel shooting? What happened that day? 
So to give you a bit of background, uh, a major boxing event was taking place that weekend in Dublin and they were having a weigh-in for this this event. The event was called the Clash of the Clans and there was boxers there from several gyms, including a gym called MGM, uh, which was founded by Daniel Kinahan. Daniel Kinahan was expected to be in attendance and indeed he was in attendance. So while the weigh-in was going on, there was lots of people in there, families, young children, uh, watching the boxers get weighed in. It was all a little bit of pantomime and, and, and all good fun. A van pulled up outside the hotel, which is in Drum Condra. This van came through the Grace uh, Park Manor estate. Uh, two men got out initially, one of them wearing a, a flat cap, but not wearing any other disguise. That's a man called Kevin Murray, who has since passed away. And the other was a man dressed as a woman, wearing a woman's wig. Both were armed with handguns. They went into a laundry entrance of the Regency Hotel and opened fire. That caused the crowd uh, who were watching the way in to uh, stampede basically towards the entrance. Daddy, help me. Daddy, Daddy, that? At that point, another three men got out of the, the van. And these were the men who were dressed as Gardaí, basically as members of the Garda Emergency Response Units. Uh, they were had you know ta- tactical uh, uniforms on, helmets, and were brandishing AK-47 style assault rifles. They went in the front door. And they saw David Byrne, who would be closely linked to the Kinahan uh, organized crime group. Two of them opened fire, hit Byrne. Uh, he fell to the ground and was crawling away. And then another one fired uh, the, the fatal shots into Byrne. They didn't get their intended target, Daniel Kinahan, who had uh, fled out another entrance. All five men got back in the van sped off the van was later found burnt out um the assault rifles were found in a car some days later and uh, they matched the ammunition found in the van as you say it was a really audacious crime and one that shocked the nation but what exactly was jonathan dowdall's involvement in it so according to the evidence we heard on monday and it was really quite limited evidence it didn't take long at all uh, the extent of Dowdall's uh, involvement, and indeed the involvement of his father, Patrick Dowdall, was that uh, they provided assistance to the gang, and that was the charge. Uh, it's a charge that carries up to 15 years in prison. It's providing assistance to a to a criminal organisation in the commission of a crime. It was brought in as part of anti-gangland laws in the about 12 years ago. So they're accused and indeed convicted of uh basically driving to the Regency Hotel the day before the uh, shooting and paying for a room, getting the key cards to that room, driving to another area of the city, handing over the key cards to uh, another person connected, closely connected, the Hutch Criminal Organisation. Those key cards were later uh, given to Kevin Murray, who I mentioned was the man in the flat cap. He stayed in the Regency that night, was seen leaving that morning with a large, heavy hold-all bag, going to another part of Dublin, and then obviously returning and uh, carrying out the attack. Okay. Now, you mentioned that Jonathan Dowdall was a member of Sinn Féin. Uh, he also had Republican links. Were those Republican links significant, do you think? Or, or did we learn anything about that in the court? Well, according to Dowdall's Defence Council, uh, you know, uh, this is a, a, a very, very experienced barrister, Michael O'Higgins, um, the Dowdall's Republican links were one of the reasons he was asked by the Hutch gang to book the room. Now, it's a slightly 
involved theory and it's a theory that was referred to by Mr Justice Tony Hunt yesterday as the false flag theory so let me I'll try and take you through it basically the Hutch gang wanted Gardy to believe that it was a paramilitary attack mm. an IRA attack so they didn't want them looking at Dublin gangland they wanted them looking up north so they thought and this is the theory well, Dowdall uh, is obviously closely connected to Sinn Féin, probably has other Republican links. Um, let's make it very, very obvious he was involved in this. So that's why the the, the room was booked under the name of, of his father, Patrick mm. Dowdall, and why the two of them were seen, you know, actually driving to the hotel. So when the guards see that, they will think Belfast paramilitaries rather than Dublin uh, okay. criminals. And, you know, it, it, it's somewhat believable if you, uh, you know, when you, when you, when you spell it out. Uh, Kevin Murray, the, who I mentioned was the guy in the flat cap, he was closely associated with the IRA and he was from Northern Ireland. He was the only one of the men not to wear a disguise or a mask of any type. And he was seen on CT, CCTV making no attempt to disguise himself and at one point even seemed to be nearly looking at the cameras. So the idea was that they... You know, they wanted the guards to see Kevin Murray and, again, think Northern Irish uh, paramilitaries rather than Dublin criminals. Uh, now, you might ask, why would Kevin Murray sacrifice himself? I was about like to that? ask that. <laughs> well, Kevin Murray was suffering from a terminal illness at the time. Uh, indeed, when they went to extradite him later from Northern Ireland, Northern Ireland uh, refused to extradite him based on uh, health grounds. And indeed, he died uh, only a short time later. Okay. And it would seem odd that the Dowdalls would book the hotel room under their own name? Because there's multiple names they could have used. They could have used any name in the world. So it does seem odd. Uh, but uh, what the defence said was that the Dowdalls knew the Hutches for many, many years. Jonathan Dowdall would have known Jerry Hutch and Patsy Hutch. I would have borrowed money from them on occasion to help with his payroll. Uh, but also that the Hutch family would sometimes ask the Dowdalls to book things in their name online, holidays and things, presumably because maybe the Hutch name was a bit too notorious. Mm. You know, the implication being that it was not that unusual for uh, someone from the Hutch organization to ask the Dowdalls to book something. And the Dowdalls, Jonathan and Patrick say, they had no idea this okay. was going to be used in the prelude to an attack. So basically that they were patsies that they were used. Now, when Jonathan Dowdall was arrested in connection with the Regency Hotel murder, uh, he was already in prison. What had he been convicted of before then? So a month after the Regency Hotel murders, lots and lots of searches were being carried out. And unsurprisingly, one of those searches targeted Jonathan Dowdall's home. The house was raided under Section 9 um, as being a suspected member of the IRA and they were in search of firearms and explosives. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- that was the reason. And in the home, Gardy found a USB stick, which they had a look at. And on the USB stick was a video of Jonathan and his father, Patrick, torturing a man. So this was a man who came to their house uh, ostensibly to buy a motorbike. The Dowdalls believed this man was trying to scam them. So they basically abducted him, uh, waterboarded him, and uh, threatened him, you know, saying things, you know, like that they would get the IRA to mm. shoot him and, and bury him and that sort of thing. Uh, and unfortunately and inexplicably for them, they uh, recorded all of this. So a conviction, unsurprisingly, then followed for both men in the special criminal court. Dowdall got uh, 10 years, his, uh, his father Patrick got seven years, later reduced on appeal. So... When he was 
first interviewed when he was first arrested for these offences uh, relating to the Regency, he was already in prison for the, the abduction and the torture offences. Dowdall was released in April of this year and at that point he was interviewed by Gardaí and provided them with useful information. Now, he'd already indicated he was willing to assist them. Mm. In fact, he, he indicated when he was first arrested in April 2021 uh, that he was willing to assist them when he asked to speak to someone about the Witness Protection Programme. Then in November, he, he gave further indication he was willing to help. Then when he was released in April of this year, he did an informal interview. Gardy went off and checked the information he gave them, you know, ascertained that it was accurate, and, and so were happy to if you like, do some sort of deal with him. Coming up, life in a witness protection programme. What can Jonathan Dowdall expect? Now, Jonathan Dowdall was originally meant to stand trial for murder in relation to the Regency attack. But last week, he entered a guilty plea to the lesser charge of facilitating the crime by booking that hotel room that the criminals actually used. Then, on Monday, it was revealed that he was going to act as a witness in the trial, giving evidence against the accused. Good evening. Well, the former Sinn Féin councillor, Jonathan Dowdall, is willing to testify in the Regency murder trial and has implicated others the special criminal court has heard. So, I presume that means that he won't spend any time in prison? Uh, Not necessarily. So, his defence counsel said to the judge it would be entirely reasonable not to uh, imprison him given his assistance uh, that he is giving to the court uh, in relation to the Regency case. It'll be a tough decision for the judge. It's obviously a a, a very, very serious event and a a very notorious event, but obviously sending him to prison carries its own risk um, and he'll, he'll have to be very much protected in prison. So it's open to the judge to um, give him a non-custodial sentence. It'll be interesting to see if he does, given his very serious previous convictions. But he could face, you know, the maximum sentence is 15 years. Mm. Obviously, he won't get that because he pleaded guilty. But uh, it's not a given that he won't get any custodial time. And of course, then the special criminal court heard that he would most likely be entering the witness protection programme. What does that mean for Jonathan Dowdall and indeed his family? It mightn't be an exaggeration to say that his life is over. Certainly his life is fundamentally changed. So even if he doesn't go to prison, he's going to be in a form of custody for many, many years in the sense that he's going to have to move abroad. They're going to relocate him to another country, an English-speaking country. He by no means will be living in the lap of luxury there. Some financial assistance will be provided, including possibly money for some training courses or education courses. But the basic premise of the witness security program, as it's known, is that you they will keep you to the lifestyle you are accustomed to till you get in your feet. They, but they'll help you get set up, but they won't necessarily just pay for you to lie on a beach in Florida, say. Okay. And what about the rest of his family? Because, I mean, will, it, will, it, will his close family be similarly protected? So his close family will um, absolutely receive significant Garda protection. Whether they go uh, with him, you know, abroad is somewhat of an open question. I understand that uh, it's looking like that they will probably remain in the country, uh, possibly move to another part of Ireland. Uh, you know, he has young children um, and also, you know, older children, uh, you know, older adult children, you know, so asking them all to move is obviously a massive burden for that family uh, so it's unknown but it uh, my understanding is it's more likely that he will go uh, on his own 
And what about his father then? Do we know anything about his father, Patrick? Because he's been convicted of the same crime, but I take it he's not giving evidence in the murder trial. It doesn't look like it. We got no indication of that, but it doesn't look likely that he's going to be going into witness protection either, or at least they haven't indicated that. But he is, you know, like his son grew up in inner city Dublin, very few run-ins with the law, obviously aside from that very serious abduction and uh, assault incident. Uh, he has a lot of health problems, the court heard yesterday. He's a 65-year-old man. So, you know, uh, on their own, none of these health problems are terminal, but together they will shorten his lifespan, was, was this plea in mitigation yesterday. And tell me, who governs or controls this witness security programme? I mean, is, is it controlled by statutory instruments or is it controlled by the Gardaí? I mean, how does it operate? Uh, it's under the, uh, it's part of the Attorney General's office, but is run by the Garda Crime and Intelligence Branch and their operational wing, the Special Detective Unit. So um, what's interesting is the witness security unit, which is responsible for this, are completely separate to the guys investigating the offence. So the guys investigating um, you know, the Regency Hotel shooting won't know where Dowdall is no more than the rest of us. You know, it's a highly secretive. They take pride in the fact that they've never, you know, had a breach. They've never, you know, someone, when someone follows the rules and abides by the mm. rules, which they haven't always done, but when they do, you know, it works as it's supposed to. Uh, but it doesn't actually have any statutory footing. Um, so that's unusable, you know, uh, when compared to other countries. So that means things like, well, it means that there's been a few legal cases regarding it uh, over the years, including like things like what's the guard's duty of care to protect someone, even if someone doesn't want to comply with the terms of the programme. And it means, say, if Jonathan Dowdall himself or any other participant uh, you know, did something foolish like, you know, return to Ireland or whatever, or, you know, the guards can't legally stop them. The only, you know, recourse the guards would have would be to end financial support. And does the person themselves get to decide on the location they go to? I mean, because I'd say there's a big difference between a small little town in Scotland and a big city in the Southern Hemisphere. I mean, who decides where a person goes as part of this programme? It'd be the guards who decide, uh, you know, um, and I, I couldn't say if the person uh, you know, gets any input, uh, it's possible they would get some input, but, um, you know, it's a lot of hassle to set this up. You have to coordinate with another country's police force. You have to put them far enough away where they're not going to be, you know, seen by someone who might know them. So, you know, there's not a million options for mm -hmm. people, but, you know, final authority rests with the guards. Now, the person is under no obligation to enter the programme and under no obligation to stay in the programme. But if they do, they have to do what the guards say. And do we know how many Irish people are being protected in this fashion? I mean, are we talking 5, 10, 50? I mean, have we any idea how many people are in the programmes? Yes, it's, it's, it's uh, almost certainly under a dozen. We know some of their names. We know, uh, say, Charles uh, Bowden, who was the first to enter the programme after giving evidence against John Gilligan in the murder trial for Veronica Guerin, something Gilligan was acquitted of. That was, you know, soon after the programme was set up in 1997. Other people have entered over the years for less high-profile things, but we're talking small numbers, and you can even see by the uh, funding for the programme, mm -hmm. it's small numbers. So Jonathan Dowdall is 44 and he has a young family. This seems like a particularly dismal way to end his life, certainly as he knows it. Yeah, uh, as his barrister said in court, he faces a grim future. Uh, you know, a future where living in exile 
probably on his own, looking over his shoulder all the time, um, constantly wondering if the, someone he meets might be someone who might know someone who might know someone. And never, or you know, only in very limited circumstances, being able to return home. You know, and if he does return home, he'll be basically taking his life in his hands. It'll be for very brief periods. He'll have to remain anonymous. Uh, so, yeah, it's, uh, it, you know, his his life is fundamentally changed. Jared Hutch, the man known as the monk, has been charged with the murder of David Byrne, while two other men, Paul Murphy and Jason Bonney, are accused of helping the criminal gang commit the murder by providing access to... Jerry the Monk Hutch was due to stand trial today for the murder of David Byrne in 2016, but the trial has been adjourned following developments. So what's actually happening now with the full Regency murder trial? Well, of course, uh, Jerry Hutch is still facing a murder charge in relation to the death of uh, David Byrne, and two other men are facing uh, charges of um, helping in the attack by sourcing motor vehicles. So Mr. Hutch and his two co-accused appeared in court a couple of hours after Mr. Dowdall was um, spirited away from the building, and the court heard that because of these developments, um, there's a lot of new disclosure in the case, and... Uh, Mr. Hutch's defence counsel, Brendan Grehan, told the court that this would require a fundamental reappraisal of the defence strategy. So they asked for a week. Uh, we're going to come back in a week and we're going to see where we are and um, see if they need a bit more time. Obviously, as we've seen with other uh, cases where a trial involves a witness who's, you know, gone into witness protection, it's usually challenged by the defence, and there's usually an argument by the defence that uh, this witness has been given some incentive to prosecute, and that's always has to be hashed out, it always takes quite a long time, so this trial had been called on for around two months, I believe, or we can expect, uh, you know, to add probably another week or two onto that because of these developments. Conor Gallagher, thanks very much for talking to us. That's it for today. This episode of In the News was produced by Declan Conlon, Aideen Finnegan and Suzanne Brennan. We'll be back on Friday.